Sweetheart of Swing. Welcome to Stay Tuned, the show for animation lovers, recorded live on YouTube and proudly streaming on Patreon. Coming to you from Austin, Texas, I'm your host, Phil Maki. Thank you so much for joining me this evening on this premiere episode of 2019. Tonight, Stay Tuned starts the new year off with something new. The first part of a three-part music series, my special guest is composer Lolita Ritmanis. All that, and you'll have a chance to share your thoughts, questions, and opinions with me for a live Q&A after the show. My special guest tonight is a 10-time Emmy-nominated composer who won for her work on Batman Beyond. Since that time, she has created music for a number of direct-to-video films and TV series for both DC and Marvel, including Batman The Killing Joke and Young Justice Outsiders. Representing one-third of Dynamic Music Partners, Lolita Ritmanis is here to get musical with me in just a few moments. But first, this. Lolita Ritmanis, welcome to Stay Tuned. Thank you so much. What a pleasure it is to be on your program. Uh, it's a real honor to have you here, for sure, for me. Uh, honor is mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've become a real tour de force in the DC Comics world. I'm going to get started right off the bat with jumping into DC because I'm such a big fan. Were you always drawn to those characters, or did all of this start with Batman the Animated Series? Honestly, it, well, with the exception of watching the, the old Batman, you know, the uh, live-action Batman with the, the jazzy score uh, when I was a kid. Adam I West, mean, yeah. Adam West, of yeah. course. I definitely kind of happened into this because of my mentor, uh, the late Shirley Walker. So that's how it all started for me. It was actually my first screen credit as a composer. I'd been working a lot as an orchestrator for other composers and doing arranging and orchestrating and uh, always wanted to be primarily a composer, but was doing all the other jobs to get me to that point and uh, surely opened the door for me on BTAS, which was it's such a crazy thing to, you know, to get that kind of a opportunity without any real big credits of my own. Absolutely. So, uh, so that's that was your foot in the door and then and then you never looked back since. I didn't, you know, and it's kind of nuts because, you know, there's been a lot of Batman, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, there actually has. I do want to get back to Shirley, but before I do, that feeds right into something I've been wondering. How hard is it to recreate a theme for a character that has had so many themes, arguably themed by yourself, I'm sure? 
Well, you know, to keep it fresh, we really, you know, generally look to the whoever the showrunner is, whoever is the main visionary force behind the particular incarnation of that Batman show. So, you know, if Bruce Tim is doing something, he he might have a real specific vision of, you know, he wants it to be big orchestral sounding and flash forward to uh, Batman the Brave and the Bold, which was, you know, James Tucker's baby. And that was, you know, it was all about the bongo drums. So, you know, it's. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, and and uh, uh, working on uh, Young Justice now, which is yes. five years after it went off the air. You know, to be on season three of a completely different sounding DC universe with a lot of kind of cool sound designy things. So you know, my hats off to the gang at Warner Brothers for understanding the importance of allowing music to have its own voice as part of their creative process. You know, it just I do think it sets everything apart in a very kind of classy way to have it be having a unique voice that is true you know and for as much grief as i've given them uh off camera (laughs) uh, (laughs) i have to say like i've i agree warner brothers has been very honest and truthful to how they treat their scores it's been nice to see they give that music a place to live they allow people to purchase that music which i know that might sound like not a big deal but to me that's huge that you can go out there and find the music at all well, it's been it's been really amazing to meet the fans of these shows over the years, you know, whether it's at Comic-Con or, or even just online, that truly understand, they pick apart these scores. They know things about my music that I don't even know. Oh, <laughs> you know, no. they, follow, they followed things through from, you know, from, from an initial idea to like, oh, and then you use that same theme in this episode. And it's like, wow, yeah, wow, it's amazing that you kept track of all that. You know, I had even people that came up to me at a it was either Comic-Con or WonderCon and a young couple that had gotten married to one of the cues from Justice League Starcrossed the end of the end of the oh, movie wow. they, had, they had actually taken the music off of the aired network broadcast and used it to get married to so. that is I mean that's got to be quite the honor I'm sure it was amazing you know this couple that were like they were super super skinny it was kind of like they almost looked like anime characters you know with like very thin with like really <laughs> beautiful big features and they're telling me they're getting married and I'm thinking they got married to this music of mine and I just you know I was thinking am I it's like some sort of a dream or something it's so flattering it's just you kind of had I had to you know come down and off the ceiling after that how strange yeah that is really that's a cool idea though <laughs> yeah but you mentioned Young Justice of course I have to jump on that because I, I am a huge fan of that show how big of a shock was it for you to hear that come back now well here's the deal those fans they were they are the most amazing fans period and um, throughout those years Michael McQuistion Christopher Carter and myself which you know we're the three of us comprised are known as dynamic music partners we've been steadily working uh, with various superhero properties and kept in touch with Greg Weissman who's one of the producers and he does a lot of the convention circuit and from time to time there would be you know a panel about something and Young Justice all these different things and Young Justice. And we'd get, when we'd be on these panels, um, you know, the Young Justice fans, as soon as you mentioned that show, they just went nuts. And so the constant writing to uh, Warner Brothers and just amount of whatever it was when it was on Netflix, you know, it was like, just like, keep watching it, keep watching, binge watch, binge watch, binge watch. And it's like, okay, it makes sense, you know, and fans sure. are clamoring for more. Why not? You know, yeah. the third season is going to premiere, I said, January 4th. It's early January. Yeah. I mean, it's so good. I can't reveal anything about it other than to say it's 
pretty pretty amazing. And, and it's going to premiere yeah. on that uh, on the DC Universe streaming app, mm-hmm. which is one yeah. of those things where I'm so happy that that exists. I'm of course a subscriber of it, but it's one of those things where this is not an animated thing. But when I started watching the Titans show, one of the mm-hmm. things that I was thinking was, man, this is really good and nobody's going to see it. <laughs> I don't mean that really, but I, I hope I hope people jump on board is what I'm trying to get. I hope that... But you yeah. know, the numbers are... The, from what I've heard, the numbers are good. And, and some people, of course, are doing like, oh, we're gonna, we're only going to start subscribing right before Young Justice does it. And we'll even just do it long enough and then leave. But I think all the extras that are available and all the little, little yes. perks of being part of that, I think yeah. it's just the tip of the iceberg as far as what's going to be happening with, with all of our viewing habits. And for people that are true fans... I mean, why not immerse yourself in something like that? Yeah, you know, I agree. It's a great app. I mean, it, they went really in depth with everything they've done. When you watch one show, they bring up like, oh, so here's some other things about the characters. Here's an article about Robin that you might not have known about, which I think is such a in-depth and great way to handle it. Yeah, well, I certainly encourage your listeners to check it out because it's, you know, why not be on the forefront? I mean, I remember when Netflix first started, well, maybe it started earlier, but I remember getting into House of Cards and thinking like, okay, you know, I don't know, how long is this going to last where people have to subscribe to something? And it's like, <laughs> look at what happened with that, you know? So, yeah, yeah, it's true. That's true. I mean, yeah. I mean, Netflix started out as a service where you mailed in and got a disc in the mail. So, I mean, we've definitely, <laughs> yeah. we've, we've come a long way. You mentioned your two musical partners. Is that, you know, I can't really think of a, uh, another instance where there are three people, other than the studio of Hans Zimmer, where I know that he has people kind of working underneath him. And But you guys kind of work together as a collective. Is that uh, a, a pretty unique thing, would you say? Well, I think the unique part of it is that there's no one main person. It's the three of us. And we did that for several reasons. We didn't want to start doing needle drop and librarying, you know, using reusing a bunch of pre-recorded material. We wanted to keep the tradition of really scoring each episode alive. And if we had not band together, it could have kind of been a situation where one is really one person is really busy killing him or herself getting the work done and the other two are kind of waiting for the next opportunity so we decided to join forces in that sense and as far as other examples of that in the business I would say the majority of high profile television composers now almost all of them have a team I mean people that I have great respect for I mean Bear McCreary has many composers working oh, with, wow. under his guidance um, Sean Callery Chris Leonard's I mean a of course, the authenticity and the brilliance of those composers as just solo composers. I mean, they're they're outstanding composers. But to meet the deadlines and to to get the the amount of work done that is gone through those different uh, production houses, really, they've kind of become these big companies in a sense. You need to have more hands on deck. So with with our situation, uh, the producer or director, whoever is our main creative uh, visionary that we're working with, they get to meet that person gets to meet all three of us and have three times as many laughs and three times as many. Oh, my God, I can't believe you did that. And that kind of thing, you know, so we're we're built in test audience of the product. (laughs) It's fantastic. I think it's like you're right. There is a lot of work involved. I don't think people realize, um, you know, because the D.C. productions Mm -hmm. I don't think there are a lot of other productions out there that are doing full orchestra-based work. Is that correct? Well, not all of this is full orchestra. I mean, Young Justice is very much a kind of a sound designy, interesting, you know, different different kind of aspect to scoring. Some of the direct videos that myself and my partners have done, and and also uh, Freddie, who was on Frederick Weidman, who was on your uh, podcast as well uh, before. Yep. Um, it's 
you know, you have a certain amount of live instruments and then you have your instruments that are in your studio, the just, you know, orchestra in a box, I say. Right, right. Um, <laughs> back in the old days, it was, uh, there, there was no such thing. So everything was hand composed, you know, pencil and paper, score paper, and then you'd have a music copyist writing out all the parts and then you'd have the orchestra come and play. And it's rare to have that be only the case, to have only orchestra, but definitely the sensibility of scoring each episode as far as telling the story story and having different instruments and different themes and following the story arc if it's over an entire season it really comes to life when you have more traditional composers and traditional I mean storytelling composers as opposed to just you know needle drop use a library thing Oh, okay. The needle drop, you mean like in terms of Ren and Stimpy, where they had just a, they had the, the music library, they could pull old, old songs and kind of give them new life again? Yeah, I mean, needle drop is, I mean, it certainly is one option, but it, you're not going to get that unique sound. It's pretty much like, okay, all of a sudden you go from the William Tell overture played by a full, you know, band to, you know, going to some sort of indie rock piece of music within seconds, you know, and so it just, it's not kind of a cohesive style but um it's you know it all has its place and hopefully more of the young filmmakers will choose to go more the, the tried and true way of hiring a composer to score their project before we go away from young justice too much you mentioned that you guys kept the spirit of it alive but as far as the creative aspect of writing music for that world again how easy was it to reinsert yourself into that well, surprisingly, it was pretty easy, but it did require a little bit of like, okay, let me listen to the listen to the first soundtrack. You know, we had a release of the first soundtrack uh, from the first two seasons, and just kind of get into that world again. And because of the characters and the stories being so deep and complex, it's just oh, yeah. rewatching oh. a few episodes. I mean, it not to say that the other DC properties aren't complex; they're just complex in a slightly different way. You know, yeah, Young it's Justice like, borderline I, is convoluted a little bit. Like, I, I. I mean that in the kindest possible way. Like, if you miss an episode, you are done on that show. <laughs> well, and luckily with, with, you know, with everything being digitally available at, at your fingertips, you know, you don't have to miss an episode. It's not right. like the old days of, you know, like, wait till Friday at 7 o'clock and sit down and watch. But that's when I watched Young Justice when it first came out. I, re I remember it being like that. And I was thinking like, my gosh, these are complicated storylines. I, I don't even know what, what happened a week ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But they're good. They're very good storylines. I'm not knocking them. <laughs> I've often said the work done on some of these direct-to-video projects that you just mentioned, that they're theater-worthy. Uh, so how exciting was The Killing Joke for you guys? And did you not realize it would make it to theaters? Did you know going into it they were going to do that? I did not know that it was going to go into theaters. And actually, when, you know, the whole Fathom event thing was happening and we actually, you know, I had seen it, but to see it with an audience, you know, a very, very critical audience, but, you know, a wonderful yeah. audience. It was like, they love it. They hate it. They love it. They hate it. But uh, for the most part, just the excitement of being something part of something that huge. Um, and they also, you know, had produced a like a little music featurette to go with it, which was kind yes, of fun. They did. And, and it was really cool because um, one of our first meetings with Bruce Tim about that movie was the whole thing about that song in there. You know, it's yes. like, what there's going to be this song and it's called I Go Looney. I mean, what a what a kind of an odd thing amidst all this like dark crazy sh 
stuff. Absolutely. Sorry, I'm not using expletive, but it's like um, it was very, very, very cool to kind of have something so dramatically kind of 180 degrees musically from what the darkness of that particular project was. And Mark Hamill, of course, you know, you feel like you have to kiss the ring when you're in his presence. I mean, my gosh, it's just. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, what a great guy, too. Just so, so sweet and professional beyond measure. Well, you can absolutely tell that he took the role so seriously. I would say more seriously than he did even in in the animated series. And that featurette you're talking about, Madness Set to Music, which is available on the the Blu-ray. It's great. I love that I can see, we can see you and, and Michael and Christopher all sharing your experiences working together on a project that you clearly respected the source material of, What, regardless of what the fans feel about The Killing Joke. I would say the creative aspects of the music and the voice acting, you guys really were true to the spirit of that very, very dark and disturbing piece. It was really spectacular to work on that. And we decided early on to hire, you know, a string orchestra to add to the creepiness, to have these wonderful live musicians. And another thing for us emotionally, which was kind of an intense thing, was we didn't realize that we were actually recording our score on the same day, like to commemorate. We didn't know we were commemorating the passing of Shirley Walker. It was like we had actually were scoring the same day. And a lot of the same musicians played on The Killing Joke that had actually played on Batman, the animated series. Oh, man. So the whole, like a very intense, and and also her son, Ian Walker, uh, was one of the bass players, you know, string bass players. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it was just, it was a remarkable day of great recording. And just, I mean, I just love that. I loved the cinematic feel of it all. And I mean, as much as I love animation, I say this with the kindest of intention. When I forget about the fact that it's animation and just completely get immersed in the story, that's where I feel like it's risen to a whole nother level where I'm not looking at, you know, how is this painted? Or how is this, you know, are the backgrounds cool on this? Or, or you know, all the different sound design stuff. It allows me to immerse myself as a fan into the story and into the brilliant voice acting and, and writing and stuff. So. Yeah, there are absolutely what you just said is true. There are moments in The Killing Joke where you just sort of forget get what you're watching and you just get drawn in and I think part of that is credit to the music that you guys created which and correct me if I'm wrong here but unlike you know more traditional themed based scores there's just a lot of unsettling strings that comprise the score for a killing joke right yeah all three of us have a lot of experience with kind of traditional orchestral techniques and how to get those effects with live musicians we know how to do that um and to actually then have the budget where you know you're actually having musicians do that as opposed to looking for some sort of samples and sample music sample libraries but to actually know that you know this is something that maybe a technique that jerry goldsmith used or bernard herman used and bring that energy that knowledge into our score is uh, really very exciting yeah you guys created a mood for sure i can attest to that oh you mentioned shirley walker i never had a chance to speak with her how was your experience working with shirley well, when I started working with her, I was a very uh, full of energy, nervous, excited, everything under the moon, you know, composer with just thinking about being terrified at the opportunity of working for her and with her. Then shortly before she passed, we had become colleagues. So I lament the fact that she's not around so much because I, I would love selfishly just to be able to pick up the phone and complain about things or, or share my greatest triumphs. I mean, she was 
the best cheerleader and, and she was also tough as nails at times. You know, when I started working for her, it was very much in the mode of being an apprentice. It was mentor student relationship at first. No, no questioning her what, what she was, you know, if I had an assignment, it was like, if there's no questions, you just do it. And uh, that's what I really needed as I was starting out. To Warner Brothers credit, I mean, they, uh, Doug Frank was head of music at the time and he very much accepted this idea that she was going to be bringing in uh, emerging talent to give that talent a chance to shine and also to mentor. And uh, a lot of people went through that uh, kind of unofficial program of hers. Then just a few of us kind of survived that in a way and were able to reap the benefits of just her embracing us as unique composers, you know, with our own voices. So um, she's been gone quite a while now. And I've been so lucky. I always mention her because I certainly wouldn't be where I am now without her and uh, her generosity and her, her spirit and her, you know, her just amazing ability to, to just get things done. And, and in, in the face of being really one of the only women that had reached a certain level uh, in this business, it was difficult for her at times because of that, but she did not publicly ever complain about that. She just, you know, she just pushed forward, pushed forward with it. That's incredible. I just want to remind people, Batman the Animated Series, which is, of course, the work that we're referring to here, was very much character-driven and theme-driven, and she absolutely is just as responsible to that as Bruce Tim or any of the other artists that were on the show, because when you hear the Joker's theme play when he comes on screen, that is just as much an indication to start grinning as Mark Hamill's voice coming out of him. You're very right, very correct. And uh, it's interesting now to look back because when you're in the midst of working on something that is quote unquote just a show and you're just working and just going day to day, um, you don't realize the idea when we came up on the big, was it 25 years or 20 years? Some big anniversary and it was just this, oh my gosh, you know, I can't, you know, I can't believe, you know, I was so lucky. What a crazy thing to be involved in so early in my career to have that opportunity. Yeah, that sounds like, I mean, that is, <laughs> I'm sure anybody listening who's uh, who's in music is a little bit uh, jealous at the moment of that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I totally get it. <laughs> <laughs> is there a universe or uh, a project in particular you wish could have lasted longer because you enjoyed working with the themes you created so much? Well, you know, I mean, everything, uh, of course, you always want something to go on when it ends. It's kind of a bittersweet thing. A um, couple things come to mind. Definitely working with Glenn Murakami on the original Teen Titans. Oh, um, yes. You know, uh, Glenn's Teen Titans. I mean, Teen Titans Go is so popular, uh, but that's a different different thing. Even my, Michael Jelinek is on Teen Titans Go, but Glenn's uh, Teen Titans when we started that. And I mean, he is such an interesting person to work with because he really uh, wants to draw out that creative kind of uniqueness he wants to see what you'll come up with without you without telling you what he wants you know he kind of opens the door for creativity so I would have loved for that to have gone on and also another property which is not DC was Spectacular Spider-Man that only lasted uh, 26 episodes I think because it was a Sony thing and there was just that it happened right as the whole Disney oh the acquisition Marvel thing and kind of I think there were so many stories left untold and and that also is a critically acclaimed um, series that kind of just ended and would have that would have been cool to have more of those. Well, that's an interesting point that it ended around that time. I have to wonder, did it end because of the acquisition or was it because of something else? 
Um, I think it was mainly that it was kind of like things were in limbo, you know, it was, you know, kind of, it's hard to just, I think it's, it's hard to, to order a bunch of new episodes of something if there's a whole big transition happening. So, um, maybe who knows everything now is everything's possible, right? Everything is possible. You're right. Again, the power of the fans. I mean, if you think about how the, a lot of that stuff happens, they get reboots or re or re or or just somebody will realize that oh my gosh you know there's there's this this version of this property that wasn't fully realized because of some business dealings and and now it's possible to do it so the fans yep. should never feel like their voice isn't powerful the fans voice is hugely hugely powerful this is very true this is the age of the fan and if you're listening out there gargoyles fans i'm talking to you <laughs> <laughs> that's one of like the most passionate groups of fans i think out there so you've won an Emmy and you've actually been nominated 10 times, which is like an incredible achievement. But you won one for Batman Beyond, which I absolutely love that show. I watched it on its first runaround. Does that put a lot of pressure on your creative process going forward with the new work? I don't think it puts pressure on it. It just, honestly, it's just plain and simple. It felt really good to win, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it was- you know, not to say that, uh, you know, uh, it was Shirley and Chris and Mike and I, so we, you know, four of us won for Batman Beyond. And I mean, for me personally, my first nomination was kind of like, you know, all of a sudden like winning the lottery. And that was on Superman for Little Girl Lost, an episode of Little Girl Lost. Okay. It was a solo nomination. And that score I had just, I had worked so hard on every single little detail. It's like, it, for me, it's still one of my, I think it's one of my best works. And to be nominated for that, I mean, I was just beside myself. And it was the whole thing, like, oh, well, then what are you going to wear? And what are you going to do? And do <laughs> So I was so excited. And so then, you know, to not win and, and a few other nominations to not win. And then to win for Batman Beyond, we were just, you know, I was just kind of flabbergasted and so excited. So do you ever go back and listen to, like you said, Little Girl Lost? Do you listen to your own work? I don't I don't really listen to my work like, oh, I, I'm going to listen so much for enjoyment. It's more like, you know, sometimes putting together a reel to submit for, you know, consideration for an, another project. I'll look through some of the past recordings and just try to find something, you know, just for audition purposes. And then I'll stumble across something. And it's almost like this thing where, you know, when you look at an old picture of yourself and you remember how you felt when you were in that picture, like there are pictures where I'll look at, I'll, I'll look at an old picture and I'll, and I'll think, oh, I thought I was so cool back then. And, and then I look <laughs> at the picture and it's like, I wasn't really that cool or vice versa. Or you'll see some, you'll remember a picture where you think, oh gosh, I really felt fat in that picture. I remember I was 13 and I felt so ugly, but I don't look so ugly. So music is the same thing kind of where you go back and something that maybe kind of was just something you wrote. It's like, this is actually really good. And then something that I thought was, you know, it was the bee's knees. It's like, ah, this isn't even that good. It's derivative of other stuff. It's just, it's not, it's not really happening. So Uh, it's so interesting. I have to say that. That's very similar to the creative process that I deal with, uh, the visual stuff that I, with the comics that I do, uh, I, I can look at, it, at an image and just start to hate it. And then I'll put it away for a long time and I'll find it again and I'll think, why did I hate this so much? Yeah, exactly. 
it's interesting. It's just the human. I think as artists, we are generally very critical of ourselves. Yeah. And and uh, just the idea of, you know, when you finish something and you've reached that deadline and you have to turn it in, you just kind of let it go and just let it be. And, um, you know, it is just very much a collaborative business. You can't be so precious about everything. You know, it's all up for change. And if somebody rejects something, it doesn't mean that it's not a good piece of music. It just maybe doesn't fit the scene the way that the director or I mean, the producer, whoever is the person you're working with wanted. So I think personal critique is the hardest, really. Uh, but the uh, the next thing that's difficult is is finding a way to sustain a career and not be so dependent on what people think. You figure if they hire you, you know, they hopefully basically like what you're doing. Right. You're not just a real jerk to work with if you're not, you know, if you don't shrivel up every time somebody asks for a change or (laughs) or have a tantrum about about that idea of like, you know, changing one single note, it's uh, you're going to do okay. That's a good point. That's a good point you bring up because I'm I'm definitely coming at this conversation from a solo artist. I don't have an editor looking at at the comics that I make and telling me what to change. So it very much is me against myself. But you're right. You are working in an industry where it's a collaborative effort. So yeah, I, I imagine it is a very different feeling overall. Yeah. And it's, you know, you can't really define your self-worth by what other people think of you. Um, I mean, you can, but you're going to get sick, really. You're going to just get stomach cramps or whatever. So you have to try to find a way to do your best work and then let the collaborative process just take it to wherever it needs to go. And if some of, you know, your work doesn't get accepted, but you still are working, that means that you've been a good collaborator, a good team player and a good, you know, somebody that people enjoy working with. Awesome. Do you have a favorite superhero that when you see you've you've got a project with them on the list, you're like, yes, I love writing for this guy or girl. I genuinely love Batman. Yeah. I love love the darkness and complexities, you know, of Bruce Wayne and then just the idea that you can you can actually do good and still not necessarily be this sunny, full of light person, you know, (laughs) Thank you, Lolita, for being here with me today and talking with us about all the things that people may not think about when they hear, you know, film score music. Uh, it's always fun to talk to, to people who appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if, if anyone ever is interested more in the music, you know, you can absolutely get a bunch of these soundtracks at La La, La, La Land Records or also, you know, through Water Tower on iTunes. And uh, it's great. If any support for the music is uh, is really touching to me. And I appreciate the shout out today. Of course. Is that the best way that people can support you if they want to make sure that Lolita gets uh, as much support as she possibly can? Do they just go to <laughs> those two websites well i would say this if you like the music if you if you like not if you don't like the music don't say anything no (laughs) you know when you're commenting on these fan sites that's a great it's all always great to at least to be noticed i think if somebody likes something it it feels good you know people often don't comment in that in a way that's a, a big compliment it means that we've made you know i as a composer have made you feel something but you don't even know why so you didn't uh, even notice that i made your made you more scared or made you you know happy about the the heroes arriving or whatever so i'd say any any mention is great and just keep watching the properties that's really your support it means the world so awesome yeah i can pretty much guarantee that nobody had a problem with the killing joke because of the music (laughs) (laughs) great (laughs) well uh thanks again and uh have an awesome career going forward with the new young justice we all look forward to checking out those episodes fantastic all right bye all right bye 
That was a selection of score from Superman the Animated Series titled Little Girl Lost, composed by Lolita Ritmanis. The series ran for three seasons starting in 1996. It followed Batman the Animated Series and featured much of the same creative team from that show. The long-anticipated third season of Young Justice landed this past week exclusively on the DC Universe streaming service. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode. Special thanks go out to Lolita Ritmanis once again for joining us here on the show. Thanks so much to all of you listening in live on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you would like to support Stay Tuned and listen anytime, join me over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash filmaki to become a subscriber today. Among the cool rewards available there, you can also stream this show anytime you like, which means never missing an episode. For more fun, check out my original comic books at RetailSunshine.com and you can interact with me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handles of both Retail Sunshine and Phil Maki. Also, you can keep up to date with the latest animation news by visiting this show at Facebook.com forward slash Stay Tuned Show. I've been Phil Maki, you've been a wonderful audience, and until next time, keep those eyeballs peeled, those ears open, and be sure to stay tuned. (laughs) 